0: Everyone, welcome back to the Talking Redbird Baseball Podcast. I am Lucas Van Pelt and I am your host. We are back for another kind of off season episode. Spring training starts here in a couple weeks, so you know things will start to ramp up. So today, I really wanted to focus on doing an episode that I love to do. Um, you know, if you're only a Cardinal fan and you really only ever pay attention to the Cardinals, this episode might uh, be a bore for you. Um, But this is going to be ranking the top players in the NL Central. So, again, I love the MLB in general. So I would love to do, you know, every division like this. Um, But, again, some of my – well, just about every person that listens to this really only watches the Cardinals. So I wanted to kind of narrow it down. Um, You know, if I rank the Cardinals, it's kind of a pretty obvious list, right? Goldschmidt, Arenado, Wilson Contreras, these other guys – Um, of course, would be at the top of the list. So I wanted to at least include the teams that the Cardinals play by far the most, uh, the most often, right. And what teams that we see the most. So I wanted to do again, a rankings list, but outside of the Cardinals. So I kind of settled right in the middle at doing an NL central episode, right? These are the players that we are going to see the most often. Okay. We play, you know, 15, 16 times a year, all four of these teams and, you know, fighting with them for the division title and all of those things. So I think it's important to 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 stay informed with all of those other four teams where they're at, you know, are, are they going to be a threat to win the division, all those kind of things. So um, we're going to start with the pitchers uh, and then we'll get to the position players. Now, when I first started this ranking a couple days ago, when I did all my research and kind of have narrowed down this list a little bit, Um, I had just one list of 10 players and then I wanted to make a just missed list, which was going to be, you know, two to three players that I was going to highlight that, you know, maybe didn't make the top 10. And all of a sudden my just missed list was longer than the top 10. So, um, you know, comparing position players and pitchers is pretty difficult. So I just decided to make today a little bit of a longer episode just because I like to just talk about all these players, um, and I split it up into position players and pitchers. So it made it a little bit easier on me. So we're going to get to the pitchers first, and I'm just going to start, you know, right outside of the top 10. So I'm going to talk about three pitchers before we get to the top 10. The first one I want to talk about is a relief pitcher for the pitcher of Pirates. His name is Colin Holderman. So again, probably hearing this name for the first time, if you remember, um, you know, he did, he played a very big role for the Pirates last year. So if you didn't see him pitch against the Cardinals last year, you know, expect to see that he is very, very elite. Um, before, before we get started on the list, let's talk about the couple different stats that I used really as uh, the ways to rank this list, right? What I used to help me. The main stat that I used to rank these pitchers is what I call fielding independent pitching. So, you can think of it as just kind of what we call an ERA predictor. So it's really similar to ERA. So some of these numbers um, are going to be very close to ERA, but it takes out the factors that the pitchers can't control. You know, do they play in a ballpark like Coors Field or Cincinnati? Right. You'll see. You'll see on this list that some of the some of the Cincinnati fielding independent, fielding independent pitching, or I'm just going to call it FIP. F I P. Um, or is a little inflated because they play in a ballpark that allows so much offense. Um, or you'll see, um, you know, are they playing behind a bad defense? Do you know, wind, right? All those factors that the pitchers can't control fielding independent pitching, or again, as I'm going to refer to it, the rest of the episode is just FIP, Um, it takes out all of those factors. So it only, you know, factors in the quality of contact that the pitchers are allowing you know, it, are the batters that they're facing making contact? If so, how hard? Um, all of those things, right? So it's a little bit of a better predictor of pitch quality and pitcher value, okay? So you're going to hear me just say fit a lot. Again, just know I'm referencing fielding independent pitching, okay? So Colin Holderman has a 3.2 fielding independent pitching. And again, for those of you that don't know, like what's good, what's bad, Compare it just to ERA, right? So um, in pitching, ERA earned runs average. So how many runs are you allowing per inning? So, or excuse me, per nine innings. So a lot of us are familiar with ERA. So, you know, a 3.2 ERA would be really, really good. Kind of the same thing with FIP, right? A 3.2 FIP is very good. Okay, so um, it's a little bit more simple that way. So Colin Holderman has a 3.2 FIP. So pretty, pretty good. Now, the stat that I really liked for him that kind of encapsulated how much value he brought is if you combine his ground ball percentage and his strikeout percentage, it is almost 80%. It's 77.9%. So out of every you know batter that he faces, 80% of them are either grounding out or striking out. And that is an elite number. So he's only allowing 20% of his batters to hit a fly ball. And... Fly balls are where you do damage, right? Fly balls and line drives are where you get doubles, triples, home runs, things like that. So if he's only allowing 20% of those batters to even do that, um, that's elite, right? You're going to be a great reliever. So um, he is kind of their eighth inning guy. You know, we're going to talk about the Pirates closer here in just a little bit. Uh, Shocker, he's in my top 10 list. Um, But Colin Holderman is one of the better setup guys in the division. So he's very, very good. Expect to see him a lot in the later innings. Um, And again, the Pirates don't, you know, they're they're not really competing for the division this year. Um, Their closer again, he's on my top 10 list. We'll get to him here in a minute. Um, He has been, you know, subject to a lot of trade rumors because the Pirates don't typically uh, extend guys whenever they're getting close to free agency. They usually just trade them. Um, So they it's kind of nice for them to have a backup option. If they do trade their closer, um, you know, this guy can slot right in. OK, the next couple of guys I'm going to talk about are both in the Cincinnati Reds starting rotation. So expect to see them a lot. Um, a couple of these names you probably should have heard before. So one is Hunter Green. Um, he was the first round draft pick for the Cincinnati Reds uh, in 2019. I think um, straight out of high school, big, intimidating presence on the mound, throws one hundred and two miles an hour. So, you know, that's what got scouts attention back when he was in high school. He was throwing one hundred and two in high school. So he's kind of lowered that a little bit to like 98, 99 because he's trying to figure out, you know, not just how to throw, but how to pitch. So his ERA has always been a little bit high because he has spotty command. And, you know, even though he throws 99, if you throw it down the middle, you know, if you can't command that on the east, west or north, south parts of the strike zone, hitters are going to hit it, right? If you leave it down the middle, uh, even if it's 100, hitters are going to figure out a way to do damage off of it. Um, and unfortunately that's what happened that's what has happened to him in his career so you know he's he's throwing a little bit softer but trying to command it around the zone last year he had some he had some encouraging innings but you know got blown up just as much so he's only 23 24 years old so he's definitely someone that the Reds expect to take a step forward um something I talked about before is typically with starters you need you know you're expected to go through the lineup a couple times right you're expected to go five six innings so You have to have more than just two pitches that you can command. You have to have a third pitch, sometimes a fourth pitch. And you even see some of these pitchers like Sonny Gray, who's again on my top 10 list I'll talk about here in a minute. He's got five pitches that he can command. So, um, you know, that's typically what makes a good starter is the more pitches that you can command. And Hunter Green really doesn't have that. He has two. He's kind of a four pitch or I'm sorry, a four seam fastball slider type of a pitcher. Um, he has a curveball and a changeup, again, he can't throw them for strikes. So that's why hitters have been able to do some damage off of him. Um, But if he can maintain those two pitches in command, he's someone that could easily skyrocket to the top top half of my top 10 list. Next is going to be Nick Lodolo. So he kind of slots right behind Hunter Green, Um, doesn't throw as hard, right? He's more in the mid 90s but he can absolutely be the best pitcher on this list. If he figures some things out, he, you know, think Madison Bumgarner on steroids. So for those of you that don't remember, Madison Bumgarner was a lefty uh, for the San Francisco giants. He was an elite part of their three championships that they won in the early 2010s. Um, Nick Lodolo can be that and more, right? He has a four pitch, five pitch mix. Um, His command is great. It's really just all about health. He he didn't really play a lot last year, and he has some injury history back in the minor leagues as well. Um, so if Nick Lodolo can stay healthy and give a full season, he could be the best pitcher in the National League Central in a heartbeat. But for now, he misses out on my top 10 just because he hasn't really shown that he can stay on the field. So now we're going to get into my top 10. So I'm going to go 10 to 1 in that order. And we're going to talk about, again, the main stat that I'm going to talk about with each one of these guys is fielding independent pitching. Now there are, I have, I do have it split, uh, not purposely, just kind of how it worked out. We have five starters on this list and five closing pitchers or, oh, excuse me. Yeah. Closers on this list. Right. So the closer for all five of the teams made the list. Um, And actually one, no two. So, and, and then the other five are starters, excuse me. So, Fielding and pitching, I'm going to talk about. But then when it comes to the closers, the other one that's a really good predictor of how good they are is strikeout percentage. Now, I know there's more to pitching than just strikeouts. Of course, I know that. That's why I'm not, I don't care about the strikeout rates for starters. But when you're supposed to go one inning, right, you have dominant closer stuff. Strikeout percentage usually is a good indicator or predictor um, that you're going to be elite in a, in a one inning, uh, sample size. So I do include the strikeout percentage for all five of these closers. And again, for those of you that think I'm crazy for including strikeout percentage, because again, I know there's more to pitching than just strikeouts. Um, when you look at the elite closers back in the day, Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, um, Craig Kimbrell, Kenley Jansen, right? All of them, or oldest Chapman, you could even put on that list, right? The elite closers of the last 20 years, um, they all have strikeout percentages north of 30 to 35%, right? So it's not just me saying that it's historically the case. If you strike out more guys and you're only facing three batters, you're going to be an elite closer. So I have included it, um, you know, for the five closers on this list. So let's start with number 10. Uh, he is the closer for the Chicago Cubs. His name is Adbert Alzali. So he was a failed starter, Came up through the Chicago Cubs system. Um, again, didn't really make it in the starting rotation. Uh, went to Iowa, which is their AAA affiliate. Um, he was elite there for the bullpen. So he finally got brought up out of the Cubs bullpen two seasons ago. And this past season, he was given the reins for the ninth inning, and he took it and ran with it. So he is, again, All it's kind of funny that all five closers for, the, for the, all five NL Central teams are on this list. Um, and he slots in at number 10 he has a 3.02 fielding independent pitching so pretty good and a 26% strikeout rate so you'll see that that is the lowest number of all five of those of these closers um i don't really look at saves for closers because there's so many different factors that can affect a save right if you're blowing out teams like um the Braves the Dodgers those teams um you know they're they're winning by four to five to six runs it seems like just about every win so you know the Braves Dodgers uh, you know, the, even the Baltimore Orioles last year, they're blowing teams out. So actually they, you know, they, their closers don't have a lot of saves because as to be a save situation, you have to be only up by one or two runs. Um, and, you know, sometimes the really, the really good teams, you know, even though they have the best records in the league, you know, their closers are actually kind of in the middle of the pack in saves. So saves um, again, I don't really look at them for a good predictor for, you know, how good of a closer that you are. So, Albert Ausley, uh number 10 on this list. Number nine is also a Chicago Cub. He just signed with them out of the uh, KBO, which is the Korean Baseball League. I don't really know what the O stands for, excuse me. Um, but we saw him in the World Baseball Classic. For any of those that watch that, he comes over. It, it, it's It's really hard to compare, you know, Japan and Korea's stats to, you know, what they're going to do here. Um, So I just looked at fan graphs, what they predict him to do this year, and they predict him to have a fielding independent pitching around 3.74. So um, not really elite, which is why he's on the back half of this list. But his calling card is that he can command really well all five of his pitches. So he throws um, a splitter, a changeup, curveball, slider, and a fastball, can command all five. So he again slots in at number nine on this list. Um, he's the Cubs kind of number two starter and their their number one starter or their ace is a little higher on this list. I will get to him in a minute. Number eight on the list, his name is Alexis Diaz. He's the closer for the Cincinnati Reds. He has a fielding independent pitching of 3.5 with a strikeout rate of 30%. So um, again, calling card for him is strikeouts. He has dominant stuff, a, a nasty slider um, and a high fastball or a, sorry, high velocity fastball. Um, again, his, is command, right? He, his command is spotty. He's, you know, he's known for coming in, striking all three guys out, you know, having these dominant innings, um, but he could also walk three in a row. So that's kind of the case with a lot of closers, right? Um, but yeah, so he, he's, he's elite. Don't get me wrong. He's the brother of Edwin Diaz, which is the closer of the New York Mets. He's probably the best closer in the entire major leagues. Um, so he has it in his blood, <laughs> But you know, not quite as good, again, which is why he's on the back half of this list. But Alexis Diaz comes in the ninth with a lead for Cincinnati and you know, you're you're worried about you're worried about getting anything going against him. you know, big intimidating presence on the mound. Number seven on this list is a Pittsburgh Pirate starter. His name is Mitch Keller. So he's kind of slots in as their ace um, pirates out of their, you know, if you look at their entire team, uh position players, fielding, pitching, right those major three categories. Um their pitching is by far what's kind of holding them back. Now they have pretty good relievers, right? We already talked about one and um we're going to talk about another here in just a couple spots. Their starters are where they lack. So Mitch Keller is really the best of the bunch. He will be their opening day starter. He was their opening day starter last year. Um he had a 3.8 FIP last year, which is again not you want that number closer to 3 especially if you if you're an ace right so um 3.8 is still respectable um does that make you an ace in this league it does not right so he he was brought up by the pirates he had a 5 to 6 ERA the first couple years of his career so you know the last year and a half he's kind of figured something out so he's definitely lowered that number a little bit but again not where, not not what you want out of your ace so He's young, 26, 27, something like that, so he can still uh he can still, you know, make a step forward, figure something out, but for now he slots in at number 7 on this list. Next is the closer for the St. Louis Cardinals. So, um the next three people I'm talking about are actually all closers. So I kind of put them in this little the same little grouping here. So Ryan Helsley slots in at number 6 here. Um he was hurt about half of the year last year, which is why I put him after two other guys. If you look at their numbers, you know, once I talk about all three, I'll kind of circle back. Um he does have probably the best numbers of all three, but I couldn't put him number 1 just because, you know, he you know, he he was an all-star 2 years ago. He probably should have been last year, but he was hurt. Um so you have 2 years now of dominant performances by him, but 2 years ago he he couldn't even pitch back-to-backs, right? If he was if he would pitch one inning, he would have to have a day off the next day um and you know if you if you're an elite closer you should have a bulldog mentality right throw me out there every day I don't care you know two inning saves whatever you need I can do it you know and I think that's where he's going to be at this year you know the older he gets the more durable he's he's becoming the more stamina he can have right um but he was coming off of an injury in 2022 which is why he wasn't allowed to pitch back-to-backs and then now in 2023 he was injured again so He has the most um, alarming health history of these three closers that I'm going to talk about, but his stuff is the best. And when he's on, he's the best of the bunch. So for now, he slots in at number six. Last year, again, in about a half of a season, keep that in mind, um, a 2.2 FIP and a 36% strikeout rate. So um, elite, 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 right? Best of the bunch history, um, excuse me, injury history, holding him back a little bit. Number five is the Pittsburgh Pirates closer, David Bednar. So 2.5 FIP last year. So also very good with a 29% strikeout rate. So, you know, very, very good. He actually led the league in saves last year. So again, I don't really, that's not a good predictor of how good of a closer that you are. Um, But every time David Bednar came in the ninth inning, uh, you know, the game was over. So um, very good closer. Again, the Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen is actually one of their strengths. Because, you know, Colin Holderman, which we just talked about a bit ago, now you add David Bednar to the list. And that's a that's a great eighth, ninth inning combo for the Pirates. So, you know, if they could, if they can figure out some starting pitching, um, you know, they'll they're definitely on the upswing. And you'll notice that theme kind of in the NL Central in its entirety, right? The, the, the division itself is very young. So Pirates have a lot going for them. Um, the Pirates actually have the best pitching prospect in the major leagues in the name of Paul Skeens. Um he pitched for LSU last year. He got drafted number one overall out of the, um, in the MLB draft back in July. So pirates definitely have some starters on the way. So they already have a bullpen that can go toe to toe with any bullpen in the, NL central. And then now they have, they have some starters coming. They have some reinforcements coming. So, um, you know, pirates are definitely a team on the upswing. And that leads us to the top four of my pitchers. So number four on this list is the Milwaukee Brewers closer. His name is Devin Williams. So, Cardinal fans should be well aware with Devin Williams by now. He's been the Brewers closer uh, for the last two seasons. And the two seasons before that, he was their eighth inning guy. Um, when Josh Hader got traded, Devin Williams slotted into the ninth inning, and he has taken it by storm. Um, he's one of the best closers in the league. Uh, MLB Network actually just rated ranked him the number one closer in all of baseball. So I, I you could definitely make an argument for that. He had a 2.6 FIP last year with a 37% strikeout rate, uh, which is the best in all of baseball. So um, again, just to compare that, Ryan Helsley has a 36% strikeout rate, which puts him top two in all of baseball in strikeout rate, right? So um, the NL Central is kind of spoiled, right? All five teams have a closer on my top 10 list. Um, The NL Central has great bullpens across, across all five teams. So again, Devin Williams slots in at number four here. Um, he's a player that can definitely be traded. The brewers, um, are notorious for trading players that are, you know, a season or two away from free agency and Devin Williams is a free agent after next season. So he has all of this season and then 2025 where he is, uh, he's still going to be a Milwaukee brewer that, you know, he would demand a haul of a trade value right now, because again, he's one of the best closers in the league, um, the Brewers just traded Corbin Burns, which is – Corbin Burns, just for those of you that are not aware, he he was the Brewers' ace for years now, um, a Cy Young winner, one of the best starters in all of baseball. He would have slotted in at number one on this list without a doubt. Um, but the Brewers just traded him to the Baltimore Orioles. So um, the Brewers are kind of switching away from contending. It's looking like um, Devin Williams only being two seasons away from free agency. Um, he would, you know, you saw, so Edwin Diaz, the closer for the Mets that I referenced earlier, he kind of set the bar with contracts a couple seasons ago, the Mets gave him a five-year, $102 million contract. Devin Williams is better than him. You know, he, he, or at least right on par with him. So in two years, Devin Williams is going to expect a hundred million dollar contract and the brewers are not going to give him that. No, they notoriously never, ever pay their elite uh, stars. So expect the Brewers to trade him. So this might be the last time that he is on an NL Central top pitchers list. Okay. So, um, which is great for Cardinal fans because he, he tears us up big time. Okay. Uh, all right. So that leaves the top three and these are all starting pitchers. So these three, I really had a hard time ranking. Uh, they're kind of in the same little group for me. Um, but this is the order that I kind of settled upon. So number three, we have Justin Steele of the Chicago Cubs. He is their ace. Going into even last year, he wasn't their ace. He kind of was a, a middle starter, um, but took an elite step forward last year. Ended the season with a three point zero two fielding independent pitching, which is one of the best in all of the in all of baseball. And he finished fourth in Cy Young voting in the NL uh, in the National League last year. So took a step forward. Again, his calling card is command. He, his fastballs only 92, 93, but he can command it really well and has several, several off speed and breaking balls that he can throw off of that. So it he's more of a a mental pitcher, right? His, his stuff won't overwhelm you, but he knows when to throw it, where to throw it. Um, you know, and he he's a very smart player. So he is the Chicago Cubs ace. Again, he will be the opening day starter for the Chicago Cubs this season. Um, he eats us alive. I think he, I remember, and it might be more than this, but I know for a fact, he at least threw against the Cardinals two times last year. And I don't even maybe think I even watched those games because I knew it was going to be rough. (laughs) So, uh, he very, very good. He still has three, four years of control for the Cubs. You know, he, he, he just got brought up a couple seasons ago. So he's pretty young, um, and expect to see him at the top of the Cubs rotation for, for several more years. Number two, these two were so close for me. Um, on baseballreference.com you can actually type in the list of two uh, you can type in two players and it'll pull up kind of a side-to-side view of all of the stats. And so I typed in these next two guys and it just looked like a zigzag, right? They both were 50-50. They you know one of them was better in this category but then the other one was better in this and it just went back and forth. Um I was hoping that would kind of help me rank this a little bit but it just made it even more difficult. So the the separator for me was pitchability. Number two on this list is Freddie Peralta of the Milwaukee Brewers. So he will be the opening day starter for the Milwaukee Brewers. He slotted in kind of right behind Corbin Burns, but again, he just got traded. So now Freddie Peralta is the ace of the Milwaukee Brewers. He ended last year with a 3.8 fielding independent pitching. So not really, again, what you want your aces to be, but he was coming back from injury. And if you look at July, August, and September, the last three months, his fielding independent pitching was closer to three, two, three, three, which is, again, closer to where you want it to be. His calling card is nasty stuff. He has a high fastball, a dirty slider, gets a lot of whiffs, gets a lot of strikeouts. Um, but again, command, that's his biggest thing. Um, he can command it well enough to go five to six innings, but you want your ace to sometimes get you into the seventh, eighth, and ninth. And that's really where he struggles with. Um, he's more of a five to six inning uh, pitcher. Again, gets a lot of strikeouts, but because he's a strikeout first pitcher, you know, his pitch count gets high very quickly. Um, so that was more the separator for me. If you compare him, at least with his pitch modeling, compared to the, the number one guy on my list, um, you know, his fastball is better. His sliders better. His off speeds are better. You know, don't get me wrong. He's a nastier pitcher. If you just look at stuff, um, but his fielding independent pitching is almost an, or over an entire run worse. Um, so he, his command is worse. He's allowing more hard hits, you know, all of those things. So that was kind of the separator for me. Um, again, number two on this list, definitely not a slouch. He's elite. Freddie Peralta, again, a lot of Cardinal fans should remember facing him whenever we face the Brewers. Um, expect to see him in a Brewer's uniform the next couple of years. So he's another, he's another guy that is about three years away from free agency. So he'll probably play for the Brewers for the next year or two tops. Um, and then they'll probably trade him again. And that leaves number one on this list. Of course, I'm a little biased, but I tried to put my bias aside. Um, and even with putting my bias aside, he was still um, the best pitcher on this list. And that is Sonny Gray of the St. Louis Cardinals. So, He is, you know, an acquisition that the Cardinals just made, you know, a couple months back. He was their kind of crown jewel free agent acquisition. He's going to immediately slot to the top of the Cardinals rotation. 34-year-old starting pitcher, uh, signed him from the Minnesota Twins, from Nashville, Tennessee. He had a 2.8 fielding independent pitching last year, which is one of the top three marks in all of baseball. He finished top two in the American League Cy Young voting last year. For the Minnesota Twins behind Garrett Cole, who won the award. Um, again, Sonny Gray and Freddie Peralta, very similar pitchers when you look at a lot of other metrics, but I just couldn't look past Freddie Peralta's uh, FIP being 3.8 and Sonny Gray's being 2.8, right? You're talking about an entire run difference. Now, Freddie Peralta's stuff is better, but Sonny Gray's command is by far and away better, right? He can spot his fastball really anywhere he wants it, Sonny Gray's sweeper and slider is a legitimate strikeout pitch. It's an out pitch um, again, and he's just able to play off of his pitches a little bit better, a little bit smarter um, can really put all five of his pitches anywhere he wants. So he slots in at the top of the list. Um, it's kind of nice to see a St. Louis Cardinal at the top of this list because uh, the Milwaukee Brewers and Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and um, you know, all of these guys, the Brewers have dominated these lists for the last couple of years. So, kind of nice to see a Cardinal on this list, um, with, you know, Ryan Helsley being number six on this list as well. So that is my list of pitchers again, just to go over it again, we have Sonny Gray, number one, Freddie Peralta, number two, Justin Steele of the Cubs, number three, Devin Williams of the Brewers, number four, David Bednar of the Pittsburgh Pirates, number five, Ryan Helsley of the Cardinals, number six, and then Mitch Keller, number seven, Alexis Diaz of the Reds, number eight, Shota Imanaga, number nine, and then last cubs closer adbert Alzali. And that brings us to the position players. Now the position players are where I had a little bit more fun on this list. Um, there's just more to talk about because obviously there's just more of them, you know. And in the NL Central, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, the NL Central is a little bit of a weaker division when you compare, you know, to all the other five divisions in baseball but all five teams have elite up and coming uh, players. You know, you look at the farm system, the Reds have a great farm system. The Pirates have, again, the number one pitcher in all of baseball in their farm system. Um, The Brewers have the top, have Jackson Churio, who I'm just about to talk about. He's been a top five prospect in all of baseball for two seasons now. And they just gave him, they just gave him a deal and he hasn't seen one pitch in major league baseball. And he just signed uh, a pre arbitration deal. So, They, you know, the, the NL central sure is weak in general, but they, you know, that should change because all five teams have these giant up and coming players. Um, So we're going to talk about four that I've put in kind of the next up category, which means for now, they didn't just miss the list, but they are really, really close from sliding into the top 10 in this list, right? They all have the potential to be, you know, probably the best player (laughs) or at least a top five player. Um, in the division. And then I have three players that just missed the list and then I'll have my top 10. So let's kind of get right into it. So these, the again, these, are, these four are in what I call the next up category. Um, they're not necessarily prospects anymore, um, but they're still young, right? One of them is actually still a rookie. The other two or the other three um, have only been in the league about a year or so. So first up again, segueing right into it is Jackson Churio of the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, for those of you that don't really uh, pay much of attention to uh, prospects, that kind of thing, I've taken the liberty of doing it for you. So Jackson Churio um, signed out of uh, the Latin area, what we call the international draft. Um, as a 16-year-old, the Brewer signed him, um, and he has just raked at every stop, uh, starting at the complex level, which is the lowest level of the minor leagues, working his way up all the way to A and a little bit of AAA last year, Um, he's not even 20 yet. He'll, he'll be 20 very soon. Um, Just to show you how young he is again, one of the younger prospects in all of baseball, you know, still to this day, back in December, the Brewers signed him to an eight year, $80 million contract. And he has not seen one pitch at the major league level. Right? So just to show you how elite he is, you know, the Brewers won, They don't give $80 million to their best players, let alone a a, a player that hasn't seen, um, you know, hasn't seen a single pitch at the major league level. So the reason why they did that is one, they just, they know how elite he can be. Um, But two, again, when, as soon as the play, as soon as any player reaches the major league level, they kind of start a six year time clock. That team has control of that player for six years. The first three years, are what we call pre-arbitration. So they're just three years on a rookie deal. And then when they get to the fourth year of that contract, that starts arbitration one. The fifth year starts arbitration two. And then their sixth and final year of control is what we call arbitration three. So by giving him an eight-year deal, they have essentially bought out all six of those years and two years of his free agency deal. So You know, after the sixth year, a player can elect free agency and sign with whoever he wants. So by giving him an eight year, $80 million contract, they essentially bought out two years of his free agency. Now, will he be much worth, excuse me, will he be worth much more than $80 million by the time he reaches free agency? Absolutely. Or at least he has the potential to, right? You're talking 70-grade power, 70-grade speed, uh, above-average defense, above-average field to hit, um, above-average command, right? He takes his walks. Um, he's patient, but he's not passive, right? If a ball's in the zone, he's swinging at it. And again, 70-grade power. So again, that's on a scale of 80. 80 if you have an 80-grade tool in baseball, you're the best in baseball at that. So just for an example, Mason Wynn, uh, for you know your Cardinal fans out there, we all know that he has an electric arm at shortstop. He has an 80-grade arm, right? He's the best in the league at, you know, that specific tool. So Jackson Churio for the Brewers is a 70-grade power bat, which means, again, almost best in the league, right? Top of the top notch power. Also 70-grade speed. It's so rare that a player would have both of those, right? Usually your top power hitters are these big, bulky guys that can't run worth a shit. And he's 70 grade power and speed. <laughs> Andy pay, uh, plays an above average center field. He takes his walks. He doesn't strike out a whole lot. Um, you're talking about a true, true five, five tool talent that, you know, could, if everything works out, he could be winning MVPs for the brewers. So um, again, they gave him an eight year, $80 million contract before he even looked at one pitch at the major league level. So um He's on my next up list. I can't put him in the top 10 just because he's not, again, seen a single pitch at the major league level, um, but he's right there. Expect to see him in a Brewers uniform for a long time. So Cardinal fans expect to see him in the middle of the Brewers lineup in center field. The first time you tune into Bally sports Midwest and you watch a, a Brewers Cardinals game, you're going to hear a lot about Jackson Churio. So, um, expect to see him again a lot. So he's on my next up list. Next is Jordan Walker. So as obviously as a Cardinal fan, Jordan Walker is someone that I've been um very high on since we drafted him out of high school in 2020. All Cardinal fans by this point know who Jordan Walker is. Again, I can't put him in my top 10 just because he's only had one year. Um, he only played 117 games out of the 162 that he's eligible. Of course, we know he went down to triple A, um, had a lot of off days but in his first year he had a 276 batting average a 342 on-base percentage which is good um he slugged almost 450 which is good uh ending the year with a 787 ops and a 114 wrc plus which again wrc plus um, that is going to be the stat that i reference for a lot of these players here it's by far my favorite stat to just predict offensive value. So again, it's on a scale of 100. If you have a 100 WRC plus, you are right at league average. If you have a 110 WRC plus, that means you are 10% better than your average, you know, league average hitter. Okay. So Jordan Walker had a 114 WRC plus, which means he's 14% better already as a 20 year old rookie um, than a normal league average hitter. So with room to grow, Jordan Walker again, has the potential to hit 40 bombs and win MVPs for the Cardinals. You know, expect him to be the next guy up if he figures some things out, right? Um, He has elite exit velocities and elite power, but he has to be able to put that in the air, right? He hits a little bit, uh, still too much ground balls. He worked on that a little bit last season. You you noticed in, in August and September, his fly ball percentage was much higher than it was at the beginning of the year. With exit velocities as high as Jordan Walker has, he needs to put a lot of the balls in the air to do damage. And we saw him to start to do that in August and September. So sky's the limit for Jordan Walker. Um, you're, you know, you're talking 40 double 40 Homer potential for this guy um, with an MVP in his future. If you figure some things out next is Matt McClain for the Cincinnati Reds. So he came up, he was a rookie for the Cincinnati reds last year um, actually finished top three in rookie of the year voting for them. He doesn't have a, um, uh, a tool that sets him apart, you know, like Jackson Churio, 70 grade power, 70 grade speed. That's elite. Jordan Walker, you're talking almost 80 grade power, you know, a very above average power. Uh, Matt McClain doesn't have any tool that kind of sets him apart like that, but he is average or above average at everything, right? Taking his walks, contact percentage, power percentage, speed, um, defense, and he's above average at everything. So he's a great, great player. Um, you know, you're not talking, you're not talking all-stars or silver sluggers or gold gloves when it comes to Matt McClain, but a player that you want on your team, kind of Tommy Edmond on steroids, right? He can play center field. He can play shortstop, second base. Um, Tommy Edmond's a better defender, but Matt McClain is better at everything when it comes to offense. So um, that's the kind of player Matt McClain can be expect him to, again, probably play, play second base when it comes to the Cincinnati Reds because they're shortstop. I'm going to talk about here in just a moment. And then last on the kind of next up list is Nolan Gorman. So he, you know, again, as a Cardinal fan, we all know Nolan Gorman. He has elite power, elite power at the second base position. There's not a whole lot of guys that can hit 30 to 35 bombs and he's definitely one of them. You know, again, his calling card is power, but also strikes out a lot. And last year, you know, if we track his strikeout percentage and whiff rate, From August, or excuse me, April, May, June, July, August, and then finally into the end of the year in September, we can see that he was working on all of that as the year goes on. So I have no doubt that that will continue into the offseason. I'm really eager to see what he can do. Um, Again, he's only 22, 23, super young, can be one of the best second basemen in the league, but I can't put him in my top 10 just now, uh, just yet, until he can work on his strikeout rate a little bit, you know, when he can stop chasing those. Fastballs at the top of the zone. Um, You know, if he if he lowers that strikeout rate a little bit and maybe improves a bit on defense, um, you know, he can be the best uh, second baseman, maybe infielder. You know, in the National League Central, he's just not there yet. And now we're on to the three that just missed the list. First is a player that I talk very highly of. Um, He's a Cincinnati Red. He's going to be playing shortstop. So Matt McLean expect him to be at second base because this guy is at shortstop and his name is Ellie De La Cruz. So again, I couldn't put him on my top 10 just because he only, he was a rookie last year, but out of everyone in this entire podcast, he has the potential in the ceiling to be the best player in baseball. The only player that I would put close to him in that category is Jackson Churio of the Milwaukee Brewers. Again, he has the potential to be the best player in baseball. And I think Ellie De La Cruz also has that ability you look at everything, power, speed, defense, contact rates. You know, I talked very highly of Jackson Chirio. Ellie De La Cruz is a notch above him at everything. He has 80-grade power, which is the best you can have. He has 80-grade speed, which is the best you can have. He plays even better defense at shortstop. Um, but what he does not do is hit the ball consistently. He has really high strikeout rates which is normal for a rookie. You know, Again, get L.A. De Cruz is only 21, 22, somewhere in that range. I don't have it right in front of me, but somewhere in the early 20s, you know? So you can expect high strikeout rates for a player like that. But the day that he debuted, the day that he played one game in a Cincinnati Reds uniform, and he already had the fastest throw from shortstop to first base of any infielder, and he had the highest exit velocity of any player, right? In one game, he threw a ball harder and hit a ball Harder than any player on the Cincinnati Reds. And that's what kind of and that's what kind of potential you're talking about. Um, Elite defense at short. Ellie De La Cruz, if he figures it out, has 40 to 45 Homer potential um, with hundred driven in there in the middle of their lineup. So Cincinnati also has a cavernous ballpark. Um, Very easy to hit bombs there, right? There's a lot of offense in Cincinnati's ballpark. So he's playing in the right spot. Um, again, you're talking best player player in baseball potential. Just when you look at his speed, defense, and power combination, it's he has a, he's an alien on the baseball field. So again, for all the Cardinal fans listening, when we play the Cincinnati Reds, expect to see Ellie De La Cruz just tear up the baseball field. Next on the list is a player that is kind of one B to Ellie De La Cruz's one A, and that's Odeal Cruz. He's the he's the shortstop for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was kind of the alien on a baseball field before Ellie De La Cruz came up. Um, O'Neill Cruz again, uh, elite power, elite speed. He's six seven at shortstop for the Pirates, um, but he was out the entire year last year with a uh, with an ACL tear. So, he, you know, with an entire year off, it usually takes some time to kind of acclimate back into the major league baseball routine. Um, but everything I just said with Ellie De La Cruz, um, O'Neill Cruz is the same way. Um, he can. Um, you know, elite power, elite speed. He can hit 30 to 40 bombs for the Pirates at a shortstop position, which usually doesn't notoriously have a lot of power hitters. So, um, it, it, you know, it just about elite at everything. But again, same thing is true. He strikes out way too much. So it's kind of the same thing with both of these players. Like That's why I put them kind of in the same category. Um, I would just put Ellie De La Cruz a notch above, barely, um, at everything. But O'Neill Cruz is kind of right there with him. And then last, right before we get to the top 10, is a third baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates by the name of Cabrian Hayes. So he was the uh, Pirates' first-round draft pick you know, a handful of years ago. His calling card is defense. He won the gold glove last year, actually. Um, I would expect him to probably win the gold glove at third base every year. Um, if you're talking elite defense, you know, Nolan Arenado obviously comes to mind. He's someone that's going to be, of course, on my top 10 list here in just a second. Cabrian Hayes is right there with him when it comes to defense. Um Brian Hayes hits the ball really hard. He has above average exit velocity, um, but he has a uh, a ground ball rate, you know, almost at 60%. So that means, you know, every time he hits the ball, 60% of the time it's on the ground. So if he can just learn to elevate that a little bit, and I'm not talking home runs, right? I'm not talking launch angle, all that stuff. Um, just elevating that ground ball rate, you know, maybe maybe his launch angle is like five degrees, which means everything he's hitting again, right on the ground. If he can just elevate that to even 10 degrees, that's enough to where now his ground balls are just turning into line drives instead of, you know, hitting it immediately on the ground. So Brian Hayes has the potential to, of course, leapfrog a lot of these players on this list just because of how good he already is on defense. And that, again, that makes him a high floor player, you know, even at his worst offensively, um, he's almost cracking the top 10 just because of his defense. Um, but if he can learn to just lift the ball a little more, and again, I'm not talking selling out for home runs, right? But just lifting the ball a smidge more to where his ground balls are turning into line drives, you would see his average go up, his on base percentage go up, his slugging percentage go, go up because he's hitting more doubles. Um, you know, you would see his game elevate to a new a new level. But right now, he is the last player misses just misses out on my top ten. So now let's get into the top ten. So number ten on this list, again, the two. The two stats that I'm going to reference for all ten of these players is WRC plus, which is weighted runs created plus. So it's my by far my favorite stat that fully encapsulates a player's offensive ability. Again, 100 is league average. So you know if you're below 100, that means you're a below league average offensive player. If you're above 100, which most of these players are, um, you're an above average offensive player. And then I also included their wins above replacement. So. Wins above replacement, you can think of as just how many wins are you bringing to your team, right? If you did not play for your team, they would be that many wins, you know, worse. Okay. So first on this list is Lars Nubar. He is the left fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals in only 117 games last year, because he was, he was on the injured list a couple different times. He had a 118 WRC plus, so 18% above league average with a 3.2 wins above replacement. Now, if we put wins above replacement, you know, if we ranked these top 10, 3.2 would put him seventh on the list, excuse me, sixth on the list. And that's only in 117 games. So he was actually on pace for a 4.2 weighted uh, wins above replacement, which would have put him fourth on the list. He would have been the fourth best player had he played, you know, a full season of games. So Lars Newbard, someone that can definitely rise the ranks a little bit. I love Lars Newtbar, all of the, you know, every Cardinal, he's a fan favorite. Um, You're talking elite defense with a strong arm. Um, One of the best in the league at drawing walks. He's a very patient hitter. Um, Also has some power, you know, maybe not a true like five tool above average guy, but does everything really well. Again, fan favorite. He's number 10 on the list. Number nine is Seiya Suzuki. He's an outfielder for the Chicago Cubs. Think Lars Nootbaar, but just better across the board, right? He's maybe not as good of a defender, um, but he draws walks at the same about at uh, the same amount, more power, more contact rates, more singles, more home runs, and that's what Seiya Suzuki is for the Cubs. He came over from Japan's league two seasons ago, so he's entering the third year of his contract with the Cubs. Um, he ended the season last year with a 126 WRC plus, which actually puts him second on this list. So very, uh you know, very, 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 very much above average offensively. And then he finished the year with a 3.4 wins above replacement. So um, very good. His defense is lacking a bit, definitely more of an offense first player. But with the Cubs having their, the Cubs, top prospect is probably the best outfield defender in all of baseball. And he's only played for a couple a of couple weeks. He came up last September very, you know, at the end of the year, his name is Pete Crow Armstrong, or they call him just PCA in Chicago expect him to be playing center field for the Cubs. So say Suzuki doesn't really need to be a good defender. He can slot in at DH and all these other places. So, um, but he's a very much above average offensive player. Next is Wilson Contreras. He is, he slots in at number eight for me. Uh, the catcher, obviously for the St. Louis Cardinals only ended the year with a 2.4 uh, wins above replacement, but he slots in at the best uh, WRC plus on this list. Um, He technically was the best offensive player on this list with a 127 WRC plus. So 27% better than the league average hitter. That is third among catchers in all of baseball. So, you know, the catching position is notoriously one that kind of lacks offensive value, right? You want your catchers to kind of focus on defense first and then whatever, um, you know, whatever offense they can get you is just a bonus. Um, And Wilson Contreras is kind of the opposite of that, right? He's definitely an offensive first. Catcher, and then whatever he gives you on defense is a bonus. Um he slots in at number eight for me just because his defense does lack a little bit. Number seven is Willie Adamas. He is the shortstop of the Milwaukee Brewers. So two uh excuse me, three seasons ago, they traded him, uh they traded for him from the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. He he he's kind of a character because notoriously he um has been offense first. But last year he flipped that around, right? He had a 94 WRC plus, which means he's actually 6% lower than a league average hitter, right? He was a below average uh, below average offensive player last year, but he still ended the year with a 3.4 wins above replacement. That's how much offensive value, or excuse me, defensive value he brought to the Brewers at the shortstop position. So just for reference, Wilson Contreras and Willie Adamas, the two players I just talked about, Wilson Wilson Contreras was over 33% better offensively and had an entire wins above replacement less than Willie Adamas, right? So that's how much defensive value Adamas brought. Again, 3.4 war compared to Wilson Contreras's 2.4 war, but Wilson Contreras was 33% better offensively. So that's how much defense he brought to a premium position, right? He is another one on this list um, that the Brewers will probably trade very soon. Again, I'm recording this on February 6th, so still a couple of weeks away from spring training. He could even be traded before the season starts. He will be a free agent after this year, or uh, he has one more year, so 2024, 2025 will be a free agent. So he has two seasons left. That's typically when the Brewers like to trade some of these guys because they still have, you know, a little bit more value because they have more than one year of control left. So expect this to be the last year that he's on this list because he probably will be traded outside of the division. Number six is an outfielder from the Pittsburgh Pirates by the name of Brian Reynolds. He two seasons ago was his peak. You're talking a 140 WRC plus. Um, he was getting MVP votes, five six wins above replacement, which is you know tops, close to tops in the league. Um, He's cooled off a little bit the last couple seasons. For whatever reason, his defense has gotten significantly worse. He was a, a below average defender. No matter what stat you looked at, he was below average. Um, offensively, he's still above average. He's a 110 WRC plus guy, so 10% above league average. And he ended the season with a 2.3 war. So, you know, still bringing some value to the table, um, but definitely slowing down. His peak would have probably put him like top 3 on this list, um, but the last couple of years again kind of slowed down a bit, so he slots in at number 6 for me. And that brings us to the top 5. We have one uh we have two Brewers, two Cardinals and one Chicago Cub. So that's the end of the list for the Reds and the Pirates. Number 5 is an outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers by the name of Christian Yelich. He has had a couple down years in a row, 2020, 2021, 2022 um was close to just average and you know the the brewers are paying him almost 20 million dollars a year he you know was getting mvp votes for the for the marlins before the they he got traded over to the brewers um to and to see those years in a row where he you know was having down years over and over and over again you know you kind of just thought you know maybe he's getting older he's 32 getting older and at least in baseball terms so you thought maybe that was just the end of the line for him, right? Maybe that was just the player he was going to be, and then all of a sudden last year he kicked ass. He had a one twenty two WRC plus again, twenty two percent above league average offensively, and he finished the year with a four point one WAR. And he actually was above average defender as well after the last three years being a below average defender. So I don't really know what happened. You really don't see that. You don't. You know. You can see maybe three bad years in a row followed by a good year. someone in their early 20s right they're figuring something out but you're talking christian yelich was one of the best players in the league he won an mvp back in 2018 2019 whatever that was and then cooled off and then now is heating back up right so it's just kind of an odd uh sequence of how his career is going um but he slots in at number five for me i had him higher on this list um After looking at some things, I kind of slotted him back down. I think this is a really good spot for him just because he is 32. Now, if he's able to, you know, match last year's production again, that's great. Um, But it's not encouraging that the three years prior to that was much worse than what he was last year. So, well, you know, he's kind of in that middle ground. You know, what what Christian Yelich are you going to get? Are you going to get 2021 Christian Yelich where he's just kind of average? Or are you going to get last year's Christian Yelich where, you know, one of the better players in the division? So. We'll kind of see, you kind of see where he's at next year. We'll tell us a little bit more. Number four on this list is Dansby Swatson, the shortstop of the Chicago Cubs. So got drafted number two, no, number one overall, excuse me, by the Arizona Diamondbacks back in 2014, 2015, something like that um, out of Vanderbilt. He was traded to Atlanta, which is actually where he's from, Atlanta. And... Played his most of his career in Atlanta, won a World Series with them. And then when he was a free agent, the Brewer, uh, uh excuse me, the Braves offered him a contract, but the Cubs offered him more. And that's where, that's where he ended up signing is with the Chicago Cubs. So he's played there for two seasons now. This will be his third season in a Chicago Cubs uniform. He's slowly, 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 um, oh, excuse me, this is only going to be his second year in the Chicago Cubs uniform. Last year was the first. Um, Slowly, slowly, slowly starting to actually decrease in offensive value. He only had a 104 WRC plus last year. You're you're only talking 4% better than league average. His last year in Atlanta, that was in the 120s. So definitely took a step back offensively last year, but still almost finished with a five war. Again, when you get to that 5.0 war category, that's what, you, you know, you consider about all-star level, right? 4.9 is what he ended the year at. So with only a 104 WRC+, right, he's barely above league average offensively, but still finishing with a 5 or, Um, one of the best defenders at shortstop in the entire league, right? That's how he was able to make up that difference. Again, an all-world, all-class defender at shortstop. He has some of the best range at shortstop but he is getting older, right? He's 31, 32. So you can naturally kind of expect his range at shortstop to slowly diminish. And that is really where all of his defensive value is, is his range. If you look at his arm, right? His uh, velocity of his throws from shortstop to first base on a ground ball, he's actually in the 20th percentile in the league. So his arm strength is already kind of diminishing, but he makes up with it by having an, um, you know, an above average range to his left, to his right, whatever. Um, so as soon as that starts to decrease, you know, you do worry a little bit about, you know, what all he can bring to the table. So for now he's thoughts in at number four, just because he hasn't really shown any signs of decreasing, at least when it comes to defensive value. And he can always pick back up offensively. You know, he, he, he's shown that in his career. And that leads us to the top three. So number three on this list is a catcher, for the Milwaukee Brewers um, brother of number eight on this list. His name is William Contreras. He, again, he's the starting catcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. He kind of broke out back in 2022 for the Atlanta Braves. He was, he was brought up as a Braves prospect. The Braves have um, one of the best catchers in all of baseball. So they didn't really need him there. So they slotted him in to their DH role. And that's really where he broke out for the Braves um, at the age of 23, which is crazy. Last year, he was traded to the Milwaukee Brewers in a, in a big three-team uh, blockbuster trade. And this past year was his first year in Milwaukee, and he broke out even more, right? This past year was by far his best year, career year, some would call it. He ended the season with a 124 WRC+, plus, which slots in at number three on this list, um, right behind his brother, actually. So Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals was a little bit better offensively. But where William Contreras... Um, steps forward or makes that leap forward is on his defense he was an offensive catcher offensive first catcher all through the minor leagues even his first year in atlanta right he again he dh'd he didn't really play behind the plate too much little did we know that behind the scenes he was working on his catching ability the whole time he just never really got a chance to show it off until he got traded to milwaukee and he was their starting catcher immediately he was one of the best defensive catchers in the league last year so again, a 124 WRC plus 24% better than the league average. But he ended the year with a 5.4 wins above replacement. That is number one, or excuse me, number two on the list when you look at catchers all across the major leagues. But if you're looking at players in the NL Central, he would have been number one on the list, right? So he brings the most value to his team. So really, if you were looking at last year um in general or, you know, last year in isolation, he should be number one on this list. Okay. Um, but because he's really only done it once, he slots in at number three for me. Uh, the two guys ahead of him have been doing it for a little bit longer. Uh, obviously, I think we know who they are by now. <laughs> it's Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado of the Cardinals. They slot in at number one and number two on this list for me. Um, but Wilson Gutierrez, again, he's the Brewers' best player, at least when you look at last year, what he brings offensively and what he was able to bring defensively as well. You know, one of the best catchers in the league, which brings us to number two. So again, I kind of already spoiled who they are, but I had a hard time ranking them number one and number two. Um, And I settled on having Nolan Arenado at two, Paul Goldschmidt at number one. So starting with Nolan Arenado, he had the worst year of his career last year outside of his rookie year. Um, Paul Goldschmidt was actually the same. He had his worst year outside of his rookie year last year. So for both of them to have career worst years, essentially, um, is obviously not ideal. Part of the reason why the Cardinals... um, you know definitely slipped a little bit last year compared to what we expected of them but he still finished with a 112 wrc plus so 12% above league average still brings his you know world class defense at third base um so he ended the year with a 3.7 wins above replacement but again a career low year which is not what you want to see and again Paul Goldschmidt is the same he he's the top of the list he's number 1 on this list for me, a 124 WRC plus, which is still, you know, 24% best or better than league average in a career worst year is still pretty damn good, you know, um, just to show you how elite his career has been. And then Paul Goldschmidt, again, 3.1 wins above replacement. So both of them had above, av- slightly above average offensive years, still brought, you know, three point whatever wins above replacement to the table. Paul Goldschmidt, it was definitely encouraging. He was a positive defender again last year. You, in 2022, he really took a step back on his defense, but he he was so good offensively that it didn't really matter. Um, but you saw last year, his defense kind of took a step forward a little bit. So what's kind of funny about Paul Goldschmidt is he's just so smart of a hitter and a base runner. He is 12th percentile in sprint speed in the league, right? 12th percentile means that there's 80 88% of the major league baseball players are faster than you, right? So 12th percentile means you're in the bottom 12% of the league, right? You're, you're very slow, but he still finished with almost 15 steals last year. So just shows that he's not very fast, but he's a very smart base runner. And that just, and that kind of bleeds into all of his other tools, right? He's good power, good field to hit above average contact rates, draws walks with the best of them, you know, but if you look at all of those tools in isolation, he's not really tops in the league at any of them. Um, but he is just so smart of a hitter; he just really knows how to exploit you as a pitcher. Um, Paul Goldschmidt obviously won the MVP award in 2022, had you know a career year that year, and you know getting a little bit older, he's entering his last year of of the deal with the with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, but expect him to expect him to uh, to remain a St. Louis Cardinal. Actually, he might. I'm a bad podcast. I said, he sign a, a deal. I think he did. But either way, Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Aranato um, slot in at number one and number two. Again, they're the two best players in, in... No, they did not sign him to an extension. Okay, I didn't think they did yet, but I was just curious. Um, anyway, top two players in the NL Central. And that should really be the case. I mean, again, Goldschmidt's in his last year of being a St. Louis Cardinal, but I kind of expect them to re-sign him, but either way, um, it's kind of nice for the Cardinals to have the top two best position players in the Central, and if we look back to my pitchers list, they have the best starter in the Central as well, so, you know, the Brewers took a step back trading Corbin Burns, so, you know, the division is ours for the taking, you know, I'm not saying, you know, really, you could make an argument that the Cubs are on the upswing, they have a lot of good prospects, Pirates, same way, Reds have a Tons and tons of prospects and they have a top three farm system in all of baseball or maybe maybe not anymore, but just did because they just graduated all their players. Um, and then the Brewers, you know, even though they just traded Corbin Burns, they still have a plethora of offense. So the NL Central is in this weird spot where, you know, it's they're probably still one of the worst two divisions in the in the league, but they're very deep. Right. You could make an argument that really, if a couple things happen, you know, I could see all five teams winning the division. Do I think the Cardinals are probably in the best spot to do so? Uh, yes, just because of the the veteran presence that they have on their team now. Um, but all five all five teams, you can make an argument in 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 another in another dimension. So, I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, I know it got a little lengthy, but this is just something that I really enjoy, really enjoy doing. So, my top ten position players, just to go over them again. Number one, Paul Goldschmidt. Number two, Nolan Arenado. Number three, William Contreras of the Brewers. Number four, Dansby Swanson of the Cubs. Number five, Christian Yelich of also the Brewers. Number six, Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. Number seven, Willie Adamas of the Brewers. Number eight, Wilson Contreras of the Cardinals. Nine, Seiya Suzuki of the Cubs. Number 10, Lars Newtbar of the Cardinals. Just list is, uh, just missed is a group of kind of seven players that are all young in elite, right? You could make an argument that all seven of them would probably make the top 10 if a couple things happen. So this 2024 year will be pretty, um, will be pretty eye opening just to see, you know, who can kind of take one of those spots. But for now, that is the list of the position players and the pitchers. And I really hope you guys enjoyed um, again. It's very fun for me to, I love ranking things. That's one of my favorite things I rank food and whatever like it doesn't matter i like to just rank things it's pretty fun um so i really really enjoyed making this list for you any uh any disagreements or you know any omissions you know i think i pre- did a pretty good job of not missing anyone but um any any arguments right please uh, send them my way i'd love to love to debate you right so other than that that's all i got for you today hope you guys enjoyed my prospect episode is coming out in a couple weeks um other than that kind of a slow part of the year until spring training gets here. So again, that's all I got for you today. Peace.